1: Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com/bluewire. That's harrys.com/bluewire for a $3 trial set.
2: Welcome to the show. It's Wednesday and it's Mailbag night. We've got a lot of questions start up and ready to go already. Uh, we have a uh, a new number one Ivy Nation Sports Talk co-host, and he's joining me tonight. Hello. We, uh, the rankings are always subject to change, and Jesse has found his way back at the top again.
3: Let's go. Coming into
2: today's show. so I want
3: the people to know I have full power <laughs> in this chat. If you're acting up, I'll mute you you're acting Let, even more up i'll kick you out
2: let's yeah let's see how long the ranking lasts if he can hold <laughs> on to that ranking through the entirety of the show tonight i don't know where vince is tonight he's out he's out uh doing something John, i think john's there for I'm you Excuse. So. <laughs> vincent is it excuses yep matt must have been here on monday when uh when i found out that there are actually two music buttons you know for the uh the, the little thing that plays at the start of the show to uh, lead us in. And uh, it went a little bit long. The music went a little bit long the other night, but we got it all figured out. I tell you what, man, if you live like in the Midwest, anywhere around here, you've experienced all four seasons in the last 24 hours. I don't know what it's like in Cleveland right now, but it was beautiful yesterday, sunny, 70 degrees. We had snow and blow and wind and everything going here in South Bend today. So I don't know.
3: Yeah, I, uh, I came into the office and I walked out of my house this morning and it felt really nice. And then I walked out of the office after work today and there was snow blowing around. So it was quite the difference in seasons. And yesterday was beautiful out. It was like 60 degrees out, had all of the windows open all day. It was tremendous. Did Oh, I know what I was going to ask you. Did you see the ending of that Cavs game last night?
2: Was that the one? Was there like a three-quarter
3: court shot or something? Yeah, at like the buzzer. That? Yeah. So the Mavericks were up one. Cavs had the inbound sideline around um, half court. They failed to inbound, turned the ball over. The Mavs scored with like two seconds left. And then uh, the Cavaliers hit, a, hit about a half-court shot at the buzzer to win the game. And this is all leading up to say, I was there last night. I was going to say, were you there last night? (laughs) I was there. And I was in the, uh, the upgraded seats, uh, courtesy to Naomi. We had, we, we had tickets originally, and then one of her coworkers couldn't go and take the, the corporate seats. So we got like, uh, we got corporate seats last night to see, to see that game. And so we saw, we saw the half court winner and like, HD baby, up close and, and personal. It was nice. Man, I tell you what, I just had a
2: <laughs> thanks for the mute button. Had a coughing attack, a sneezing attack, and the whole thing. While well, you were telling, that was a
3: fascinating story. But, Thank you. know, <laughs> it's funny though because else. yesterday was so nice out. My spring allergy started for a day. I had to take an allergy pill yesterday. Now it's back to being cold today. That that just shows. I know the, uh, <laughs> the bipolarness of the the weather in this area. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun.
2: We'll get your questions in. Let's just jump in with some right now. Sean Kelly has been uh, in here for a while and uh, got some questions in. Buy, or, buy, sell, or hold? Notre Dame will have a one thousand yard
3: receiver this season. Interesting oh, question. Man. I think this is like the long standing debate. <laughs> We've been waiting <laughs> and waiting. Let me – so I, I want to I just look up some stats last year. Um, I just want to see, like, who – Nobody was close. Nobody
2: was close, if that's what you're getting to. I mean, the closest we've had is Michael Mayer.
3: Oof. Tyree had 484 last season. Mm-hmm. So am I saying that Notre Dame's leading <sighs> – Notre Dame's leading wide receiver is going to double that next season? Well, some different factors. You've got a new quarterback. Right. You've got a new
2: offensive coordinator who just had a Heisman-training quarterback. A bunch of veteran wide receivers. Bo Collins from Clemson. Chris Mitchell from uh, Florida International. I had to think of which uh, Florida he was from. Florida International. He had over 1,000 yards down there. Of course, you know, different level of competition he's got a lot of speed though and you've also got some of these up-and-comers like Jaden Greathouse Jaden Thomas I don't know we were we were so we were so all in like on Tobias Merriweather I know last year and look what it got us you know like every I'm glad Vince, Vince isn't here tonight because Vince I know would go over because each <laughs> <of our laughs> <laughs> when we try to predict what the receivers are going to do for Notre Dame, Vince is like a million yards for everybody. You get a million and you get a million and hasn't come close. I'm going to, I like the way this is phrased buy, sell, or hold. Good phrase, John Kelly. I am going to hold. Let me at least look and see what things look like this spring before I make any uh, big, big, you know, rash decisions on what the receiving core and and the passing game is going to look like because fool me, once
3: I won't get fooled again. So, so here's, here's some preliminary thoughts for me on this question. I would say that arm talent or, or maybe Sam Hartman was a better thrower of the football and a more experienced thrower of the football than Riley Leonard. But on the flip side, I think you're upgrading an offensive coordinator and scheme, and I think that goes a long way, especially at the college level of just getting guys open and working in space. Um, and I think for Notre Dame, to, to if they want to accomplish what they want to accomplish next season, the playoffs and winning in the playoffs, I think you have to have a 1,000-yard receiver. Um, so I, I'm going to go ahead and buy this. I, I think that it's been long enough. And I think that I'm willing to take the risk at the upgrade at of the offensive coordinator position and scheme that that's going to outweigh everything. And, else.
2: you know, and I just thought about this as well. I mean, look at the schedule. Right. They've got two Mac teams and two service academies on the schedule. Like those are both get, ga- you know, like that's four games right there where where you could be halfway to a thousand yards if you have, you know, someone with uh, with some big, you know, so. I, I'm leaning in that direction, but again, I just, I need to, I need to see, I need to at least see what things look like in the spring first to feel, to feel really confident. Because I was, I was too confident last year, overconfident. And as DK said on behalf of Salty, he's going with the great one for three thousand <laughs> yards this season. The great one's going to do a little bit of everything. Apparently, he's not just going to catch the ball. I think a more ball. fun
3: question would be who would be the thousand-yard receiver.
2: Do you have a prediction? Um, I'll tell you what, let's save it for Friday and let Vince get in on this.
3: Okay. I'll
2: write that down. Okay.
3: <laughs> you know he's just gonna pick five people. <laughs> Everyone's getting a thousand yards. <laughs> You're right about that.
2: changes we're most excited to see in the upcoming spring and fall practices
3: um linebacker i'm most excited to see who steps up because i think a young player is going to have to make an impact whether or not that's uh bowen Osberry, or sneed and sneed is almost a veteran at this point mm-hmm. but someone with someone with not a lot of playing experience so far is going to be impactful at the linebacker level. And I think it's going to be very important for the defense as a whole. I just don't know who it's going to be. Um, And then offensively, I just – I kind of have to go back to what we were just talking about. Like, I think the line will be fine. They have a ton of talent. I think that the – you know, Riley Leonard will do his thing with Den Brock. Um, I think the running back room is loaded. You know, lots of talent in there. There's going to be a good rotation at running back. So I would have to go, who's going to step up at wide receiver? Who's going to be the go-to guy? Is it going to be, you know, Faison again? Is it going to be Chris Mitchell? Is it going to be, you know, Jaden Thomas? Who's it going to be? So I look at linebacker and wide receiver. Who's going to who's going to prevail out of that position group? Who's going to stand out this season? No, I agree. I,
2: I think that that's a really good one. On the defensive side of the ball, I think that that is kind of the the, the – group to be looking at because of the turnover that you've got losing those two veterans. You know what you're going to get with Kaiser, but you you pretty much have Osberry and Sneed. And we're going to talk specifically about Sneed a little bit later in Rapid Fire. Actually, we've got some comments from Max Bulla on Jalen Sneed that we're going to have. But you've kind of got those two battling over there at Rover. Vince and I were talking the other night how it it sure pretty much seems like it's probably going to be Drake Bowen as the mic this year, but they also have the different, like in the nickel package, we talked about it. The two linebackers, they have a, it's a, it's the Mac and the money now are, are the two inside linebackers in the nickel package. And so what that kind of means is th- there's potential for some other guys in that, in that sub package when they're in nickel, you know, so it could look a lot different, whether it's base package or nickel, or, you know, obviously dime is going to look a little bit different. So I like that. And, you know, look, the offense is going to look different. This is going to be a different looking offense than what we've seen the last few years. You've got the most experienced offensive coordinator that you've had here at Notre Dame in a heck of a long time. And a guy who is completely running his own offense in Mike Denbrock. You know, he, He was running Brian Kelly's offense and calling plays out of Brian Kelly's offense when he left here. He went to Cincinnati, kind of got to do his own thing. And by the time he got to LSU, he had made that offense his own and he was doing his his own thing down there. And, you know, we were just talking about the weapons that Mike Denbrock is going to have in that offense. I'm I'm looking. That's that's the other thing that I'm looking forward to, you know especially to see it on the offensive side of the ball is what that all looks like. And obviously how Riley Leonard fits
3: into that. So this is actually uh interesting because I just remembered on the topic of, you know, Denbrock and, and wide receivers and thousand yards. I saw something the other day, LSU had 2000 yard receivers last year. Uh, Malik neighbors. And I want to say Brian Thompson jr. Was the second. And so if that's any indication for the type of passing success that Denbrock, has, that Denbrock wants to have, and you have to consider largely SEC defenses are probably going to be stronger than the, 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 the level of defenses that Notre Dame might be playing next season. So I feel very optimistic about our 1,000-yard situation and, and what Mike Denbrock is able to do with wide receivers to have two – you oh, know, I get it. You have you know Jaden Daniels and a and a Heisman quarterback, but that that wasn't Jaden Daniels wasn't Jaden Daniels before last season, right? And so we're in the kind of the same predicament right now. Or question mark is Riley Leonard and the gang going to be able to to prove themselves this season? Yeah, faux show. Sure. Well, so on the flip side of this, then
2: that's what we're looking forward to. DK wants to know biggest question mark for next year.
3: Um, I know this sounds like probably maybe a little cliche or a little bit too easy of an answer. But to me, the biggest question mark is how Riley Leonard and Denbrock mesh together. I, I think that's uh, we, we, we talked about what was the limiting factor of this Notre Dame team last season. They had uh, um, a top 10 defense, a, a playoff defense. They didn't have a playoff offense. And so when you're, you're when you're rotating over a new quarterback and a, and a largely new wide receiver room and keeping predominantly, you know, the same, I know there's different. There's going to be different guys amongst the offensive line, but you know the running backs are largely going to be the same, minus Audrick. I, I just think the biggest question mark is what, how well Denbrock and Leonard work together, right? Like obviously they have to work together, but how well are they doing? Are they doing at a Jaden Daniels Heisman level, or are they doing it enough to win games? Uh, ultimately, I think that's the biggest question mark: how strong of a relationship that is
2: to me it's the offensive line because you're replacing two tackles one who is definitely you know they're both going to play in the NFL if for, with with Fisher it's a matter of where he's going to get drafted and what position he's going to play is he an NFL tackle is he a, a guard at at the next level and of course Alt is is potentially a top 10 guy so uh, th- that's that's the biggest question to me and they've got they obviously have They've recruited well at the position. They've got sufficient bodies and all that kind of stuff. They looked good enough in the Sun Bowl, but Oregon State, you know, just like everybody, had a lot of turnover. But you know, bowl opt-outs and all that different kind of stuff. So that's that's going to be the biggest question mark for me. Is is uh, just what the offensive line looks like? Who and specifically. Who steps up and how? To, you know to what extent they step up. So it's it's more so how it's division.
3: pieced together for you. the, the, the pieces yeah. are there. It's just what the final kind of lineup, I guess. Looks well, yeah,
2: like. and and you know they they still have to go out there and perform. You know how it is with offensive line. The less you're talking about them, the better they're doing. Are we going to be talking about these guys, <laughs> or are they just going to kind of go go unnoticed? Or and and are we going to be you know nitpicking mike denbrock's play calling and and uh nitpicking riley leonard and his completion percentage and you know all these different things like that there's a big difference if we're if we're if we're nitpicking we're not not even nitpicking if we're picking apart offensive line play then that's a big issue they that because it is still a little bit with, with the offensive line that joe rudolph inherited last year when you've got those two guys as your anchors on the outside. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good luxury to have. So for Joe Rudolph, now this is the first real, real opportunity that we're going to get to see in terms of how those guys were developed last year and how they're developed in this off season to come in and and be ready to step up and play. Because I don't think you can understate obviously how important it is when you're in place, replacing both tackles at the same time. Yeah, especially when they're the caliber that they were.
3: Side note: Did you notice anything uh, new about my appearance today? <laughs> uh, maybe a little, little uh,
2: trimmed up on the face, a little, little cleaner shaven, little What's fresh that? shave, and and no
3: glasses. Today. Oh, that's true. No glasses. No, no. The glare. Coat bottles are gone. You can see my eyeballs. I, I, I hope everyone appreciates that. I went and got my eye exam, and the best thing about the eye exam is you always walk out with a free pair of contacts, baby. Nice, very nice. Got in, got out, huh? Very easy. (laughs) It was actually the quickest eye exam of my life. I got like this eighty-year-old dude who is just like looks like he's been doing eye exams for like fifty years, and he just got me in and out of there. I couldn't uh, couldn't complain. Sweet.
2: Ooh, I was F. hoping you'd pick this one. Bench, okay. We got we got a start bench or cut question. We got Darius Walker, Andre Estime, Ryan Grant. I know which way I'm going. Which way are I you do going? too.
3: Uh, I I'm going to start with cut. I think that's the okay. the most interesting one to start with. I would cut Ryan Grant. I would okay bench. L- let me just say, I agree with you. And this okay. is for what they did at Notre Dame.
2: Ryan Grant obviously yes. went on and had a really nice NFL career, but remember he wasn't he not that it was his fault, but he had the hamstring issues. He wasn't completely healthy when he was at Notre Dame, and so he was while he was good at Notre Dame, he was actually much more productive and you know and had like some really, you know, like peak peak seasons especially when he was with the Green Bay Packers. When he was in the NFL, he had a better NFL career than I thought, just because of the fact that he went through the injuries when he was at Notre Dame. So I agree, I cut him for that reason. I'm because I'm, I'm you know estimate obviously hasn't played in the NFL yet, but I'm just going based on Notre Dame career.
3: Yep, and I would. Oh, this one was tough. This one was tough. I'd bench Audrick Estime and I'd start Darius Walker. Ooh, man.
2: And that's. I'm like on the fence, I'm going back and forth. you know, do i do I want the big guy?
3: What do you respect there? more? Do you respect that Audrey Getima is a sure bona fide touchdown inside the five, or do you respect that Darius Walker had two thousand yard seasons and exactly. then had a, and then had a, like an eight hundred yard in his other one. So like he was close in his other one.
2: Good receiver. Yeah, well. and he had also he a couple receiving
3: ball. touchdowns.
2: Versatility, yeah, the whole thing. So I, I think I've got to agree with you. I think I've got it. Like to me, to me, it's very close. But Walker just edges out because of the versatility and the overall track record of production that he had. Like that would be a great thunder and lightning package, though. Oh
3: man, <laughs> <laughs> we agreed though. I love when that happens. Yes, yes. I
2: really liked Ryan Grant, and you know, again, he. Didn't quite produce as much um, until he got to the NFL. There's a uh, Ryan Roberts forehead wanted to know if I saw the video of Tom Hamilton's radio call. I did. Really good call. It was the uh, Rajay Davis home run in Game Seven of the Cubs Indians World Series. Some great stuff, Tom Hamilton, the uh, Indians slash Guardians. Radio announcer. Have you seen that um, MLB Network special that they did where they brought in Tito Francona and uh, Joe Madden along with Bob Costas and Tom Verducci? And they did a whole, they went through game seven of the World Series and like all the decisions that were made and all these different things that happened. Have you seen that?
3: I have not seen that.
2: You need to check it out. I recorded (laughs) it. And I think it was Sunday after I got back from Boston that night. I went to bed, couldn't really get to sleep. And I'm like, and I was like flipping through the recordings. and I'm like, ooh, I got this. I'll just watch this for a little bit. And then I go to sleep. Uh, it was a two hour show. Obviously you can forward through the commercials, which I did. So probably cut it down to what, like 90 minutes or something like that. But yeah. I stayed up and watched the whole thing. So it was really good stuff. And obviously you and Vince especially is the kind of Cubs fans that you are. You got to see it. I think I told Vince about it. It's worth watching. Anthony wants to know, Jesse, now that you're a resident of Cleveland, will the Browns be your second team?
3: Um, so I have a – this is tough because I have a gripe with this situation, to be honest with you. I don't – I, I, I want to say this lightly and respectively. I don't – I'm not a fan of people who have like second favorite teams in the professional – in this professional sports world. I live and die by my favorite teams. Am I a casual fan? Mm -hmm. Sure. I go to tons of Guardian games. I go to tons of Cavalier games. I go to uh, a few Browns games here and there. I mean, the Cowboys are going to be in town next year, so that's definitely one that I will be at. But when it comes to professional sports, I think – I stand by – you live and die by one team. I, I all of my energy and focus goes to my one team. Now, am I a fan of the game? And do I enjoy like with baseball? I think it's easier because so See, many teams like come baseball. To town. I've
2: had multiple teams <laughs>
3: over the year, you know. Well, but, like, well, the thing with like the Guardians <laughs> is like even though I'm not technically like a, a a huge Guardians fan. I still get to see the Yankees come to town, the Angels come to town. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I just just seeing the amount that the players come to town. That's what I'm more interested in as a fan of baseball is just the 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 ability to go and see the players, some of the best players in the game. So that's more of my fandom on that side. And not so not to get off on a tangent.
2: No, that's okay. And I tried, like when I was in college, when I got out of the army, a long time. Cowboys fan and I had actually kind of like I wouldn't say that like I you know I wasn't like buying Cleveland Browns gear or anything like that but I've said before I liked the Browns in the 80s like back to Sam Ratigliano and Brian Sype and the Cardiac Kids Browns you know that era it's like late 70s early 80s and it kind of started because like they'd play the Raiders in the playoffs and I couldn't stand the Raiders you know so I kind of I, I and And so I kind of liked the Browns back in the eighties and then Marty Schottenheimer took over and then, you know, like they couldn't get past the Broncos two years in a row in the AFC championship game. They end up firing Marty Schottenheimer. He goes to Kansas city. They had been horrible forever. And then I get out of the army, go to college and all my friends are chiefs fans. And then Joe Montana comes over and it's like, Ooh, (laughs) Joe Montana's here now. So I kind of tried it. I tried it out. For a few years, like with the Chiefs as my secondary team. And it was kind of along the line, you know, after they fired Marty, look, I'm a I was a Marty fan. I like Marty Schottenheimer. I like, I like run the ball and play defense. Okay, sue me. So and you know, about that time I just said, look, I'm I'm um I'm a one I'm a one team guy. I don't have time to invest, you know, all this time that's what I mean in two different teams. I'm I'm a one-team guy. I've
3: got a college team, I've got a pro team, that's gonna be it. I would like to debunk this uh, DK uh, lies, slander being thrown out there. I did not have my face painted for any Browns game this season. <laughs> that did not happen. Never once, right? <laughs> Never once. I might have had on a Browns jersey that a friend let me borrow at some point. But I, I will say, for <laughs> I know I did this for certain, I can't remember what game it was. I know who the Cowboys were playing. The Cowboys were playing the Panthers. And I wore an Emmett Smith jersey and a sea of Browns uniforms, tailgates. So I, I held my end of the bargain. I was wearing my Emmett Smith jersey. Yeah, I think this is true. I think this is true.
2: Andre asking for whiteboard. No whiteboard tonight, Andre. Sorry about
3: that. Yeah, on a mailbag, likely not going to happen. Yeah. Sorry to disappoint. No whiteboard on a mailbag night.
2: Ronnie asking a recruiting question. I don't know if Ryan is still hanging around or not. Uh, Ronnie saying, "Damian Shanklin look a little bit shaky. Is there another defensive end the Irish should focus on? If so, who would that player be?" Again, you know, like we're not we're not the recruiting experts. That falls on Ryan. I wish
3: I had time to get into all the recruiting, but unfortunately. Yeah, I know I don't.
2: So if Ryan pops in, he can give us his two cents on that. Otherwise, all apologies (laughs) to uh, you have to wait for (laughs) for a uh, recruiting mailbag. There was one that I was just looking at. There was actually a couple. I'll go ahead with this other one. From Andre, he wants to know if I th- if we think that the women's basketball team needs to win the last two games against Louisville and Virginia Tech. He says I think they do. Plus, added some uh, needed confidence too. Like, are we talking to hosts? Yeah, or I mean to there, be a there's, top sixteen is that what we're talking about? There's a couple different things here. If they're going to get a top four seed at the ACC tournament, they absolutely have to win these last two games. They're in a four way tie for third place right now. Top four seeds get the double buy at the ACC tournament, which is next week. I mean, it literally Isn't it- is like a week away. So Before they've you- got to they've got to do that. And I think if they do that and they end up a top four seed, I think if they either – I think it's an either or. If they do that or they run the table and win the ACC tournament, I think if they do one of those two things because they need some quality wins here down the stretch, I think if they do one of those two things – They'll be hosting NCAA tournament games. So he didn't specify like, you know, like what specifically they need to do this for. But um, for them to host and obviously to be, you know, I think they do one of those two things. They'll be hosting NCAA tournament games. Go ahead.
3: So I think that's the way I took it as well. I do think that if they want to host, they have to win both of those games. Yeah. And ultimately, if they win both of those games, they're going to end up probably doing better in the ACC tournament. And so right. I think both of those things kind of go hand in hand. Um, what, I, what else I was getting to, though, is there was there was kind of some upsets this weekend, past weekend in the ACC or, you know, amongst the top of the ACC. And North Carolina, who Notre Dame beat on the road, they end up upsetting someone this last weekend. Um, I think I can't remember if it was Louisville or Virginia Tech they lost. But what I'm getting at, Louisville is lost were, to Virginia. That's what it was. And so, what I was getting at with this is, most of the time, you when you think of upsets, you think that it's going to help Notre Dame, but really, it, it didn't really help Notre Dame. I think it kind of congested the pack because some of those teams, you know, the not lower level, but the teams that were the underdog essentially kind of gained a spot and it put them in kind of like that, that middle tier that Notre Dame and a lot of other teams are sitting at right now in the ECC And so rather than kind of freeing things up, I think it actually congested some things, but Notre Dame, listen, Notre Dame is in charge of their own destiny. And I think that's, that's the best thing about this is there's two games left and they're in charge of their entire destiny. They can take control of the situation.
2: They're fully capable of doing it. And I mean, Virginia tech is a good team. But someone on the boards had a question about, you know, the slow starts that the women have had lately, and I think that there's a lot of different reasons for it. But as I pointed out, and I've, I've mentioned on this show quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, the ACC is just so deep this year. Like, Virginia, so just, good. Virginia just knocked off Louisville. Like, I think it was – I don't even remember how long – but when we were at Virginia, I think it was like the weekend before the UConn game. Notre Dame beat Virginia goes and then went down and beat Wake Forest but Virginia at that point didn't have an ACC win. 6 weeks later they've got 6 wins in the ACC. One of them was over Louisville last weekend. <laughs> and then you look at Virginia Tech who has already locked up the regular season championship and the number 1 seed. They've only got 2 losses in conference play. Florida State and Duke and Notre Dame has beaten both of those teams on the road. You know, so like that The conference is just, it is so tough this year. There's just, uh, you know, again, fans got used to watching the Notre Dame women just run over everybody for years in the ACC, but the conference is in just a completely different place right now between the level of coaching in the conference and the level of recruiting that they're doing and the kind of players that they've got. But, you know, like, here's the thing. Notre Dame has done really well against Virginia Tech the last couple of years. Virginia Tech went to the Final Four last year. Notre Dame beat them out there at Virginia Tech. That's Virginia Tech's last loss, December of 2022. They've won 25 straight home games since then. Now, they're going to come in, obviously, to Notre Dame looking for something tomorrow. I think like this is a big kind of prove-it game for Virginia Tech because as for everything that they've done in the last year and a half, Beating Notre Dame is something that they haven't done, and they've got the two-time reigning conference player of the year, and Elizabeth Kitley. She's averaged a double double over the last three years, That's and, insane. That's and a really insane good stat. point guard in Georgia Amore. You know, like they've got two really good players, and the, it's not all about. Just like limiting Elizabeth Kitley in this game, she had a monster double. She had twenty rebounds against Notre Dame. last year. <laughs> I was going to say Kitley
3: is going to do her thing. That's yeah. that you just kind of have She's to. She's going to get hers.
2: Way. It's it's how you limit. Right. I think you got to limit her and oh. the
3: supporting cast. That's right. That's right. I, it's funny that you said how good the ACC is this year in women's basketball because I compare it to the Big Twelve in men's basketball. There's just so many good teams with the it, with the addition of BYU. Uh, Cincinnati, Houston, you know, all these new teams in the Big 12 this year. It's the men's side uh, has uh, has been some really good basketball. And I think I mean, I think it's largely kind of reflected around Kansas, to be honest with you. Like, when's the last time you saw Kansas with, you know, this many losses? And I don't think Kansas is bad. I don't think they're as good as, you know, years past. But I with this Big 12, you, you can't go more under the radar. And I think Kansas has kind of found that out this season. Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I had a buddy that lost. Well, and what was even crazy is that loss at home. Cause they, they don't, they don't, even when they're, you know, meh, they don't lose at home. So, so to lose that game against BYU, uh, I think I saw a stat that they were like 70 and O at home when leading at halftime or something like that. And without
2: my color right now, I mean, that's, yeah, that's I mean, big.
3: that's, that is what it is. Yeah. That's,
2: that's big, Benjamin. The NCAA has given you the power to change two things in college football. What are your two changes?
3: Um. Okay, I've got. You know, one. I'm going to have fun with this. Okay, go ahead. I'm going to eliminate. I'm going to eliminate the kickoff. Mm, and instead, I think that. Uh, you can either risk giving the ball to the to the team on what's what's a touchback again right now in college is it the 25 or the 30 25 yeah you you can either <laughs> this is going to sound crazy you can either give the ball to the team on the 35 or sorry the 25 keep it the same no question or you can allow your kicker to try to hit the crossbar on the kickoff for two extra points but Ooh. If you miss, the team gets the ball on the 35, not the 25.
2: Do you remember um, my proposal? I think that you were here when I said when I proposed a third bar in the middle. Oh, of I don't the think uprights I heard this. Yeah, my proposal is you put a third bar that is right down the middle in the in the field goal uprights, and if the kicker hits the third bar, that middle bar, you get. It was either like four or five points, basically. Basically, you get an extra point for hitting the third bar.
3: I like that. We're basically on the same page
1: on that one.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's not my big change. That I, My my two changes would be, first and foremost, get rid of the ejection on the targeting call.
3: That's very practical. Because I would it's second it's, that far,
2: it's far too subjective. If you do it the first time in the game, it's just a 15-yard penalty. If you do it a second time, then you can have an ejection added on. And it's a 15-yard penalty, obviously, as well. But I think that it is – there's just such a subjective nature to that call. And even the replay booth is not completely, you know, synced up with with what's going on on the field. I think it's ridiculous the way it's legislated. So I think you've got to get rid of it. Just make it – 15 yard penalty for the first offense if you if you do it in the second if you do it a second time in the same game then it's an ejection after that. You like that?
3: I do like that one. Very practical one. and and a lot of people are bringing up overtime. You know, that that's another good one. I just don't know what the right model would be, right? And so
2: I'm I'm changing my my second one. The overtime rule might be my third or fourth my second rule that the second thing that I would change is uh, the replay system because right now in college every play is reviewable by the booth and again I don't think the replay booth is it's it's not up to the same standard as the NFL again they use they're too subjective with the way that they look at things sometimes it's basically just re- replacing opinion on the field by the officials making the call with opinion in the booth sometimes and i would just rather see the nfl replay system adopted coaches have a challenge flag and you get x amount of challenges and that's it not every play not because i you know again pace of play and all that kind of stuff too you want to get the calls right but i think that you need to put more just put it on the coach actual challenge system just like the nfl the nfl's got it and it's it's a much better system than what they have in college football
3: I agree. Um, I gave you guys a fun one. So I'm going to give you my like get off my lawn one now. Um, (laughs) Halftime. I know everyone's going to yell at me about the bands and the bands got to play and all this stuff. It's too long. (laughs) It's too long. I agree. I don't I don't need that long. Just I love the NFL, baby. You go in, you take a pee and you're right back on the field. I need that same thing at the college level. I don't and I, I know it's great for fans. You can get up, go to the concessions, go to the bathroom, whatever you need to do. I just hate how long college halftime is. I could go, I could watch another quarter of football by the time and our college football halftime is over.
2: I know NFL man, it's like bada bang, bada boom. You're in, you're out, you're back on the field and ready to go. Love it. <sighs> Ryan Roberts' forehead, did we see Virginia Tech baseball taking shot at Iowa football's offense? He said they won 14-6 to 6 or something like that and tweeted, just like Iowa's offense.
3: <laughs> did not see it, but I love it. Yeah. Any, any opportunity to take a shot at that horrible offense is, is absolutely deserved.
2: Tyler, thanks for the super chat. He wants us to give the teams that we can't stand in every sport.
3: Um I'll start with the NFL. Cannot stand the 49ers and Packers. It's a shame that Brent's not here for this. Mine's mine's the 49ers and the Eagles. The Packers. Damn I gotta I gotta I gotta admit mine. I gotta in mine. I Packers hate Packers are
2: are they've they've always because I've got a couple friends who are Packers fans you know i sort of had a soft spot and i yeah, you know but they, they killed Barb the cowboys in the, in the playoffs. i know it's like i'm they've they've moved into that place they've moved like after this year they've moved into that
3: I, the dez catch I, I, game the yep. rogers game at home and then this past season it's just every time the cowboys actually make the playoffs it's it's the packers getting rid of them or the 49ers mm-hmm. but you bring up a good point with the eagles i hate playing those dirty birds twice a season <laughs> That's right. And they're fans. Yeah. I don't disagree. Baseball, it's
2: the Yankees. I've never been able to stand the Yankees. (laughs) And that's why I've got, that's why I've all, you know, like we were talking about, you know, two teams and stuff like that, even though I was a Royals fan growing up, you know, like the, the Red Sox were always kind of there as well, because like when I was young in the 70s, The Royals and, you know, were losing to the Yankees in the playoffs every year for the right to go to the World Series. And so because, you know, the Red Sox were also the Yankees rival, I kind of, you know, grew, you know, fond of them just because that was their biggest, you know, like not the enemy of your enemy or whatever. But, you know, they they were they were the Yankees rival. So that's kind of where I, you know, jumped not jumped on the Red Sox, but you know what I'm saying? I hate, so here's, I hate the here's Yankees. Where, that's that's what it comes down
3: to. <laughs> here's where I stand with baseball. I absolutely hate the Yankees, but they don't the Cubs don't play them enough. They don't see them enough for right. me to like really care about them. Like I'll always when they when like my favorite thing is and uh like I don't know if you've seen this before, but when they do the national anthem at some ballparks at the very end, you know who some good baseball fans are when they say and the Yankees suck (laughs) at the end of the National Anthem. I love that. And so I'm always rooting for the Yankees to be bad type situation. But if I had to pick the teams I dislike the most, it would be the St. Louis Cardinals at number one. Again, a divisional opponent. And the thing about the Cardinals is they just think they're better than the Cubs all the time. (laughs) And every season they're projected to win the division. Every season. The Cardinals are projected to win the division.
2: They've been a better run organization over a pretty long period. That's
3: fair. That's that's completely fine to say. That's completely fine to say. But, they, you know, again, I just don't like – they're just – in terms of this division, they're just always seen as the golden child. The Cardinals can never do anything wrong type situation. And then I'll, i got to throw in the White Sox as well. Crosstown rival. Yeah. I hate the White Sox. I hate being in that stadium. I hate their fans. I hate them. Like being
2: in this area, like listening to so much of the stepchild stuff, you know, it's uh it's really it's just nauseating. And I can't stand the White Sox either for that reason. And I've you know, and you know me, like I've always liked the Cubs. I'm not a diehard Cubs fan. Like you're only you. a Cubs fan because I like the Cubs, well, you but you took me to Cubs games. But no well, but look, I grew up, you know, again, not like being a diehard Cubs fan, but I grew up not in this area back in the days of the super station when we could watch the Cubs on WGN, you know, in Kansas and you know, like so I grew up on Harry Carey and Steve Stone and and the whole thing and just kind of having fun, you know, at the party that was <laughs> Wrigley Field and all that. And, you know, so when we moved here, it was easy to take you to Cubs games, you know. So it was a lot of fun. Um, college football. Who do you who do you hate the most? Who can you not stand the most
3: in college football? Uh, Michigan's number one. Well, I take that back. USC is number one, and then it's Michigan, and then it's Ohio State. If Notre Dame still played Michigan every season, I tell you the answer is Michigan. But they don't play them every year now. I go with the long-standing rivals of USC, and I just. I just remember growing up, and USC was better than Notre Dame. We're in an era now where Notre mm-hmm. Dame has been better than USC. Right. But in the era I grew up and when I was going to all those games, USC was good, and their fans knew they were good. And every year they'd come into South Bend, and they talk so much trash. And But the thing about them is they're really not that mean of people. Like They're just good <laughs> fans. You know what I mean? That's true. That's
2: true. I mean, we're getting the pretty much standards. Here, Michigan, USC, Ohio State. Do you put Michigan State in that
3: group, yep. or I like just, Michigan
2: State just because you hate Michigan even more. Like their fans, though, can be pretty nasty too. Because I remember hearing some stories when Notre Dame was playing up there in East Lansing every year. You know, like people going to the trying to go to the the restroom, and you know, like people. You know, Michigan State fans basically trying to start fights with them just because oh. they were wearing a Notre Dame T-shirt and stuff like Didn't that. Didn't know that. I suppose that happens everywhere. You know, once once you get a little, gl- gl- you know,
3: in you. <laughs> but maybe that's why Notre Dame. Uh, well, there's other reasons why they don't allow alcohol in the stadium, but that has to play into it. Yeah.
2: As a University of Kansas alum, I've uh, I've got to go K State Wildcats. Yeah. <laughs> <think. laughs> As well. I
3: think that's so funny because your sister went to K-State.
2: Well, and the funny thing, the even funnier thing is we lived in Manhattan for five years when we were young. And I was a Kansas State fan at that point, And she was a KU Jayhawks. <laughs> and fan. then you switched. And then when we got older, she ended up going to K-State. I ended up going to KU. And I generally just kind of like never really, never really gave k-state much thought but they you know they're they're very much like purdue and michigan state they've got a stepchild complex and just
3: i think that they're they're
2: just obnoxious i just have, have come to the point where i can't i can't with them so
3: someone brought up boston college i think that's fun too just because they're big step stepchild vibes in terms of like the catholic hierarchy you know what i mean they want to be the premier Catholic school, I yeah. feel like. And they're not as good as sports as Notre Dame is. Right. They want to be, but they're not close. That was a fun question.
2: Yeah, I think so. Connor wants to know the differences in Kelly versus Freeman's first two years as head coach. Also the fact Kelly had 30 extra years of head coaching experience. Comparatively,
3: I think the thing that um sticks out the most to me in this in this question is just the way that Marcus Freeman because head head coaching, you know, I'm not gonna get into that. That's pretty subject subjective of X's and O's and that sort of stuff. I want to talk about the stuff that we see, right? Because we don't see everything, especially and 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 you, Vince, Brian etc you see more than me and you know probably likely everyone else in the chat right now and so i think the the, the biggest differences is marcus freeman's um, ability to speak with the public and his relationship with his players and i think those two things are very evident though just the way marcus freeman articulates himself to the media to the rest of the world He's a very likable guy. It felt like Brian Kelly did not want people to like him type situation. (laughs) Like he was intentionally trying to get people not to like him. And I don't think Marcus Freeman is above the top and I don't think he's fake. I think he's, that's genuinely who he is, but I think he's just a genuinely great person. And so, and then that, that, again, that leads into his relationships with the players. I think guys actually enjoy playing for Marcus Freeman more and trust Marcus Freeman more than they did Brian Kelly.
2: I agree. And I mean, you know, the way Connor worded this, there are a lot of different ways that you could go, go at it. You know, like he said, the fact that Kelly had 30 extra years had coaching experience, which is true. So like if you're comparing records and you're saying, well, Marcus Freeman has a better record because he's like what 19 and seven compared to 16 and 10 for Brian Kelly in their first, you know, so if you're only looking at wins and losses, that's fair. But if you're going to be completely fair, you also have to say, well, Brian Kelly was inheriting a situation where that 30 years at that point, I don't think it was 30. But all that that track record he had of being a head coach, it was needed because he needed to rebuild the foundation of the program. You know, a lot of like the developmental model had to get better. And that's what Brian Kelly did. You know, he changed the, the developmental model at at Notre Dame. You know, where, and, and there was much, much more consistent recruiting as well. But I think what you're talking about, Jess, is like the program, I think, even though Marcus Freeman has had his slip ups, you know, like Marshall, Stanford and and, you know, I think you can include Louisville in there as well from from this season and even Clemson to an extent, because Notre Dame should have been a better team than Clemson, even though the, you know those were both road games. I, you know, Marcus Freeman is viewed in a much different light. He's the recruiting thing is is the biggest thing that stands out. Like Brian Kelly, even by year twelve, was never going to be the point man in recruiting. And when we've talked to some of these players over there at Notre Dame, who are coming in the door as, as early enrollees and were just recruits a couple of months ago. Some of their position coaches have moved along, but they say they never wavered in their recruitment because of the fact that Marcus Freeman was still one of the first people who was making contact with him, and they had a relationship with the head coach. And recruits didn't have that relationship with the head coach previously. So that's that, to me, is the biggest thing, is is the kind of guys that Marcus Freeman is bringing in the door, the kind of staff that he has put together, it seems like a, a much more cohesive staff where, where it's not the cult of personality. You know, like he's like Brian Kelly had to be everything, you know, in, in terms of the program. I don't think that it's like that with Marcus Freeman. It's just a completely different, there's a completely different aura and a completely different feel around the program. So I hope that answers the question yeah. because again, like the way the question was worded, I think there are a lot of different ways we can go.